Welcome to Christian Life Academy. This will be an abbreviated class today, as we had some technical difficulties. But, um, uh, and thank you to Barbara for letting me use her laptop, and thank you to Jacob, who ran over and brought it here before he had to get over to his church to run sound and all that stuff. So, at any rate, um, we have been working through uh, chapter one of the Holy Scriptures of the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. And the reason for that is that it is uh, our statement of faith. It's our doctrinal statement, and of the Scriptures, of course, is foundational uh, because everything else is based on what the Scripture teaches us. Even the references for the Scripture itself, uh, we get, and the authenticity, the sufficiency, uh, the inspiration, all of the doctrines of Scripture, we actually take from the Scripture itself. Now, providential preservation is one of those that we also take from the Scripture, where we see... Um, Numerous references in the scripture that God's word will be preserved uh, for all generations to the end of time. We see this over and over again. And uh, so that, is, that leads us to uh, then a discussion on translations, uh, which if God's word is to be preserved for all time, it does no good if it's not available to the people. It does no good uh, if it is hidden for 1,800 years. There's a hint. Uh, it, that's a problem. So we've moved into discussing translations. And uh, translations, of course, were uh, much... Um, there, there was a lot of struggle with translations. And I don't even want to say it's, they were debated because it, there was never a debate. It was just uh, uh, other churches, uh, heretical churches, uh, wanted to keep the Scripture out of everyone's hands. And, of course, as long as you can keep the Scripture out of everyone's hands and you can tell them it means whatever you want it to mean, uh, if they see a contradiction, they're, they're likely to rise up against you. And, uh, find, and, and you're going to find that there's a problem. And um, you say, well, how do we know that? Welcome to the Reformation. This is exactly why this happened. As men began to have access to the Word of God and be able to study it, they began to see that there was a problem. Martin Luther, uh, who, of course, was a, was a monk, a Catholic monk um, studied, had access to the Scripture, studied the Scripture, saw problems with the Scripture, raised his questions in his 95 Thesis, and uh, subsequently there was a huge uh, uproar and turmoil over it. And uh, at any rate, uh, so we're working our way through uh, discussing uh, translations, and now we're in a mode where we're comparing uh, three versions, and that is the authorized version, which is based on the Texas Receptus. Now, when we talk about the Texas Receptus or the NIV and the CEV, which are based on the modern critical text, we're talking about Greek translations. So, are there some in the Hebrew as well? Yes, there are. And in fact, that's what we see in the differences between the authorized version, the NIV, and the CEV, and that is where they got their Hebrew. We're in the Old Testament, so we're not talking about Greek yet. New Testament was written in Greek. That's where predominantly the changes are. But there's a lot of changes in the Old Testament. That's the ones we're looking at right now. Well, this is very interesting. The Jews continue to use the Masoretic Hebrew. This is the text that they use as the source for their... This is what they read in the synagogues. This is what they believe is the true word of God. There is no other versions of the Hebrew that the Jews have ever accepted. It has only been this Masoretic text that has been preserved. And that's before the time of Christ. So... What then do they base these other changes on? Well, there's two things. The first thing is, is that a lot of times they will go to the Latin Vulgate. Now, we've talked about this a little bit. I think it's going to come up again. The Latin Vulgate 
uh, is not one version. There are multiple versions of the Latin Vulgate. The one that's accepted by the Roman Catholic Church is not the same Latin Vulgate that, for instance, Erasmus referred to when he published his Bible. So there has been several versions of the Latin Vulgate. The newest version of the Latin Vulgate, the one that's accepted by the Roman Catholic Church, is the one that's used in conjunction with the modern critical text for these new translations. So you say, well, what? Yes. The NIV and the CEV use the Catholic Latin Vulgate as their source. Why? Well, because it's claimed that this is the most up-to-date source. Now, there's a second aspect to this, right? So it's not just that. The second part of this that's a problem is what we talked about as we began working through the, different, the differences between the Textus Receptus and the modern critical text, and that is that when you are doing a thought-for-thought translation, as the NIV and the CEB do, when you're doing a thought-for-thought translation, the whole basis of this is, is that you want the readers to experience the same reaction to Scripture that the original readers had. Obviously, as we pointed out before, this creates difficulty. How do you know how the original readers responded? And is it safe to say that they all didn't respond the same? In other words, did the church at Ephesus respond to the letter to Ephesus differently than the church at Antioch, Laodicea, Jerusalem, Rome? Undoubtedly, yes. Did the church at Corinth react differently to the letter addressed to them, dealing with their problems that they were around, surrounded by, it differently than the church at Galatia? You'd have to assume yes. Why? Because Galatia didn't have those problems. They had some, but they didn't have the same problems, largely. So, this is difficult, isn't it? For a translator today to translate the scripture in a way that would create in us a reaction the same way that the original Receive, those that received the scripture originally responded to it that way. It's different. So this becomes a huge problem. This is why the NIV and the latest version had so many changes. By the way, we talked about this in, in a percentage of changes that are required for it to be trademarkable. How do they actually go through? Where does the money come from to do a translation? Well, it's a good question. Donations? Certainly. But for the most part, it comes from publishing the Bible. And if you don't have a copyright on it, then anyone can publish that. And if anyone can publish it, you're not going to make as much money to pay all the translators that worked on your scripture. So when the NIV comes out with a new edition, they have to have enough change in it so that it is substantially different than previously published versions. Right now, that stands with uh, the federal government, the United States federal government, at 28%. 28% changed. Can you see a problem with this? Has God changed his word 28% in the last 30 years? Because that's how the NIV changed. All right, so we're working our way through. We started with this last week, just comparing the authorized version to the NIV to the CEV and just recognizing some differences and how some of the changes are. Of course, last time we looked at it, there were a few things you're like, what? You know, remember this, the CEV actually had somebody else killing Goliath? not his brother. You know, we talked about those. All right. So we're going to pick back up with Psalm 19 because this is a passage that is uh, critical, isn't it? What's it about? The law of the Lord. What is that? God's word is his law. So let's go on. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. And if you've sang the song, 
for Psalm 19. You're probably saying that version of it. Let's see what the NIV says. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Okay, that's not substantially different. It is different, but not substantially. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Okay, well, this is fairly close, except it's describing these instead of saying what your reaction to them should be. Were to be desired instead of they're just precious. See a difference there? Well, let's go on to the CEV. <laughs> Worshiping the Lord is sacred. You see, it shifted right off of his word. Worshiping the Lord is sacred. He'll always be worshipped. All of his decisions are correct and fair. Do you see a difference there? They are worth more than the finest gold and are sweeter than honey from a honeycomb. So this has shifted now from the focus on the fear of the Lord is pure. Of course, we're talking about the law of the Lord here, right? And then we go, oh, sorry, let me go back. Then here's the statutes, precepts, the Lord's instruction. Close, not quite. Now we flip over to the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Not the same. Not the same. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. So Dan IV, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Okay, that's pretty close. But who can discern their own errors? Give my hidden faults. Okay, forgiving and cleansing is slightly different. But let's go to CEV. By your teachings, Lord, I am warned. By obeying them, I am greatly rewarded. None of us know our faults. Forgive me when I sin without knowing it. Do you see any difference there? It's shifted. So in both of these two, you have this, this explanation that man can't understand all of his faults, right? So cleanse me from those things. Now this one says none of us know our faults, but forgive me when I sin without knowing it. But if you back up, this one will say, these two basically both say, Moreover, by them as they serve and warn, so we're talking about the fear of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, then they're to be desired, and then by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there's great reward. This is basically the same, and this one is basically the same, except by your teachings, Lord, I am warned. Now, there is a difference there. Are these laws or teachings? Which way are they? Well, you can see what's happening. In the CEV, everything is made a little easier, a little less confrontational, a little less harsh. You, know, you see this happening? It's just a little, it's backed off a little bit. Eh, it's not, not so much. Now, this is this whole idea that God is not who we say he is, where he is this righteous judge, and he does have wrath. Man will pay for their sins. They're backing off. Every, every time we look at a verse, you're going to see the CEV has backed off. It's not, it doesn't take it to the strength that the original Hebrew did. Kind of say, you know what? You really shouldn't practice homosexuality. Not a good idea. If you don't do this, it'll be better for you, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not what God said, did he? Was his judgment, was his wrath extreme? On Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. Will it be extreme on the world today? Yes. Yes. 
We're continuing. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So in NIV, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Now, by the way, you notice that there's a difference between upright and blameless, but let's keep going. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's not too far off, is it? C-E-V. Don't let me do wrong on purpose, Lord. Or let sin have control over my life. Then I will be innocent and not guilty of some terrible fault. Okay, all right. Let my words and my thoughts be pleasing to you, Lord, because you are my righty rock and my protector. Okay, do you see a difference there? The rock, strength, rock, redeemer, redeemer, protector. Is there a difference between being redeemed and protected? You should hope there is. Because if God just protected you and didn't redeem you, you're still going to hell. There's a big difference. Okay, a couple other verses. Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Slightly different, close. Notice that the CEV goes a little further. Our Lord, you are eternal. Your word will last as long as the heavens. That's interesting. Why the change? Well, it's less firm, isn't it? Less firm. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And then CEV, your word is a lamp that gives light wherever I walk. Okay, now, at first blush, that looks pretty clear. But if you've ever heard any preaching on that passage, you didn't hear what's in the CEV. Why? There's a distinct difference between a lamp into my feet, a light into my path, and it gives light wherever I walk. Does God's word give you light wherever you walk? Or is it the path of righteousness? See, there's other references in Psalm about the path of righteousness. Are you with me on this? Like, if you walk into sin, is God's word lighting your way? No. No. Psalm 138.2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Now that's shifting. This is truth, faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now that's interesting because thy name versus your fame is two different things. But let's see what the CEV says. I worship at your holy temple and praise you for your love and your faithfulness. You were true to your word and made yourself more famous than ever before. Is that the same? God made himself more famous than ever before? Hmm. How much does God change? Proverbs 18, 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You've seen this verse before, probably, right? It's often a reference to Christ. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. 
but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you, do you see that that's completely different? <laughs> a man that had friends must show himself friendly. So to have friends, you're going to be friendly. The NIV says, if you have unreliable friends, you're going to come to ruin. CV. Some friends don't help. But a true friend is closer than your own family. Some friends don't help. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. See, in this one, you didn't do anything wrong. In this one, you must do something. You see the difference? So, are you compelled to actually behave properly? Or just sometimes you, you know, people let you down? Hosea 11.12, Ephraim compassed me about with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. NIV, Ephraim was surrounded, has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. That's not what the scripture said. It said that Judah was doing the right thing, and yet this says Judah is unruly against God. So ZV, Israel is deceitful to me. They're loyal and holy God. They surrounded me with lies, and Judah worships other gods. Not, it's not there. Matthew, here we go, New Testament. Matthew one twenty five. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Who are we talking about? Mary and Joseph, NIV, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, okay? But they did not sleep together before her baby was born. Interesting. Interesting. Does consummate and sleep mean the same thing? Say, well, it says sleep together. That must mean consummate. Oh, you're assuming it does, because you know what the other translations say. Not the same. Matthew 9.13. I have to get a little closer to see the red. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This is Christ speaking. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Can you see that there is a difference in the command? This is, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. This is, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is Christ speaking of himself. Go and learn what the scriptures mean when they say, instead of offering sacrifices to me, I want you to be merciful to others. I didn't come to invite good people to be followers, my followers. I came to invite sinners. Hmm. Not too far off, but enough. Enough to make what he said different. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. NIV. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. What did they take out? Son of Man. CEV. So, my disciples, always be ready. You don't know the day or time when all this will happen. Interesting. The passage is actually an apocalyptic passage. So the description here is, is that you don't know, we don't know, the time or the season that Christ will come. 
But the other things we will see. That's what he's saying. The other things we will see. But you don't know when I'm going to come. This says you don't know when all this will happen. In other words, you, is there a change? There's a change. Now, have, have we gotten this wrong before? Has the church had people in it that try to predict when Christ is going to return and gotten it wrong? Yes. You can say, yeah, absolutely, shake your head yes, all the time. Yes, all the time. I think it was 96? No, it was 84. Was it 84? Yeah, but I think it got to 88. I think it started with 84. 84 reasons why Christ is going to come in 1984. Next year. 85 reasons why Christ is going to come in 1985. Next year. 86. They got to 88. So they stopped publishing the book. The people weren't buying them anymore. We're still here. He didn't come. They were wrong. For the book? I don't know. It's a good question. (laughs) Okay. Mark 3.15, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out, that should be out, devils, and to have authority to drive out demons and to force out demons. They didn't have the power to heal the sick in the other two translations, just in the KJV and the Geneva. Blessed be the kingdom of our Father, this is Mark 11.10, blessed be the kingdom of our Father David that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, NIV said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So you see, that cometh in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest, not there. CEV, God bless this, the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hooray for God in heaven above. Yeah. So it's different, obviously. It's not the same things in that passage. Now you see how these are all like, you say, well, yeah, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little. That adds up, especially when these are verses that you use to base our understanding on other doctrines. This is when this becomes a problem. Luke 7, 31, and the Lord said, and have he admitted? See, he said, Jesus went on to say. What's missing? The Lord. The Lord. John 9, 35, dost thou believe on the Son of God? NIV says, do, thou, do you believe on the Son of Man? CV says, do you have faith in the Son of Man? Now, is Christ called the Son of Man? Yeah, he calls himself the Son of Man, doesn't he? But he also calls himself the Son of God. And depending on the passage, he's making a point one way or the other. So in other words, he's either claiming his authority as the chosen Messiah, whose coming uh, was foretold in the Old Testament, Son of Man, that's the reference to Messiah, or Son of God, which is God. So it makes a difference. If Jesus claims to be the Son of God sometime, pay attention. He's making a bigger point. He's making a bigger point. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The NIV says, God presented Christ as as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because his, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpublished, unpunished. Now, before I even get into that one, let's read the CEV. 
God sent Christ to be our sacrifice. Now, you do see, like, right away, right, that this is a propitiation, and this is a sacrifice. You see this? Right? Now, let me ask you a question. In the Old Testament, when someone would go to the temple and would present something to be sacrificed, was that a one and only? Did a sacrifice represent the complete taking place of that person's punishment for sin? It did not. The sacrifice was a significant sign of repentance, but the sacrifice was not enough to replace the total punishment that was due to that person. Every one of them that presented a sacrifice in the Old Testament still needed Christ's blood. Still needed him. Right. Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him we could come to God. Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him we could come to God. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He sacrificed his life's blood to pay for our sins. That's why he did it. It wasn't so you could come to faith in God. That is part of what happened as a result. But his payment of sin, of our sins with his blood, is what was required before you could be adopted by God. You had to be paid in full, your penalty. Let's keep going. And God did show this, it did this to show and that in the past he was right to be patient and forgive sinners. Okay, let's go back over here. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So God is forbearing that we sinned in the past. See this? In his forbearance, he hath left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That's similar, that's similar, but it's just shifting. God did this to show that in the past he was right to be patient and forgive sinners. God does not need to prove to us that he's right. He didn't do this to show he was right. This also shows that God is right when he accepts people who have faith in Jesus. Christ's death on the cross was not to justify God. It was to justify us. There's a flip. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. NIV. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Okay, there's a problem there right off the bat. You can see it at the end. Really, homosexual men won't see heaven, but homosexual women will? What's going on with that? But then, notice at the very beginning, or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God versus the unrighteous? Okay. Do you ever do wrong? Are you a believer? You are. There is a difference between doing wrong and being unrighteous. CV. Do you not know that evil people won't have a share in the blessing of God's kingdom? So not inheriting it now. Sharing in the blessing. Don't fool yourselves. 
No one who is immoral or worships idols or is unfaithful in marriage or is a pervert or behave like a homosexual. Now they did change the language here in a little bit more modern reference. So we might see pervert, okay, maybe there's some things here. Behave like a homosexual, okay, now we're covering both, we're not just covering men, okay. But the difference, the big difference is up here. Who are evil people? And why do they get a share instead of inheriting? Well, inheritance has to do with the promise. Inherit has to do with the promise, the covenant. Sharing in the blessings of God's kingdom is different. And also notice that it's God's kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. There is a difference. We don't have time to talk about it now because we're out of time. So, we'll pause there. Next week we're going to be finishing up this, this uh, comparison in the New Testament. And uh, then we'll be getting into some summaries about different translations, and we'll actually name translations. We'll put up a chart. That's closing word of prayer.